Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. To, we, I was just talking to my uh, very special guest today, um, uh, Seth Chernoff, joining me here today. And, you know, you're going to hear all about Seth in a minute. But we, we were just chatting about, you know, being in that place of bliss because you're actually living your passion. And I will tell you that for me, the whole idea of living my passion, the idea of actually finding something that I adore doing, Getting to speak with people like Seth, getting to read incredible books like the one that he wrote, Manual for Living, which is a user's guide to the meaning of life, uh, book two. Well, we're going to talk about this, Manual for Living. You know, I often thought about this. What if I would have come across some of these amazing people and some of the things that they 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 share with all of us when i was younger what what would my life have been like um you know where would that have gone and you know sometimes i like to take that journey because it helps me say to myself where do i want to go i don't look down the rabbit hole with eyes of regret i look down the rabbit hole so that i know how far that rabbit hole goes so that i get the right length of rope for it but today's show is about true happiness, true happiness regardless of your circumstances. And, you know, people that have, quote, circumstances in their lives are now taking their messages out into the world. I want to tell you a little bit about Seth for a minute. A two-time cancer survivor. He's an award-winning author. He's a gifted public speaker, which you're going to find out about in a minute. An amazing marketing professional. He's founder of multiple companies. So he knows what it means to be successful, to live successfully, and to feel that level of enlightenment from within and share his message to the world. He is the author of Manual for Living Reality and his new book, Manual for Living Connection. That's the one we're talking about. But there is a connection, actually, between both books. His work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, San Francisco Chronicle, you name it, USA Today. He's been on radio. He's been on television. And the reason so is because his message is powerful and it moves us beyond hope. It moves us to a place where each and every one of us can be reminded of how amazingly blessed we are and how incredibly, epically powerful we are. Seth, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. So great to be here. When when I talk about this topic, true happiness regardless of circumstance, um, I, I want to ask you, let's start Let's start with the circumstance part. I did a show today and, you know, the question that was asked was, have Americans lost their compassion? That was the question, the top, the leading question for the show. And 
we talk about circumstance and things that are going on on the outside. In your own personal journey, how have circumstances become your greatest challenge as well as your greatest opportunity for learning? Excellent question to start off our hour. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the preconceptions that I had to get over was that life was supposed to look a certain way. And we have a tendency to live in kind of a comparative reality. You know, we look outside of ourselves and we're always comparing ourselves to everybody else. And it puts us in a state of judgment. We're always feeling either superior or inferior. And the one thing that I came to realize is, first of all, when you face death and you make peace with life, you realize that pain and death and illness, they're the natural outcome of this physical experience. And so they're not things to berate yourself over or to fear. You can just accept that that's a natural part of this life. So as we face obstacles that we will naturally do, that we will all face throughout our entire life, we can embrace them and accept them that it's the natural path of humankind, that we didn't do anything wrong, that we're actually living our path. In fact, oftentimes, the more challenges that we face, the more that we're actually stepping into our truth, stepping into our purpose in life. But for me, you know, as things have confronted me and they've gotten bigger and bigger over time, first it was cancer and I've been through, you know, issues in business and financial stuff and family stuff and death. I mean, it's just, you, you, you name it. And I've gone through the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, the physical pain of going through these things. And you realize at some point that you have full control out, out of how you deal with these things. And that actually, you know, boy, I just jumped around a whole bunch. But to answer your question, I mean, that really was what brought me back to my truth and back to my inner guidance. Well, you know, you jumped around a whole a whole bunch, but in the context of really what 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 happens in our lives, we do jump around a whole bunch. And I and I love what you just said because you're right. In the face of death, and and I've I faced death myself, so I know what that feels like. You know, I, I, one of the things I shared on a, on a show not too long ago, somebody was interviewing me, and and they were asking me about my life. I, I said, well, you know, the way that I would think about my life is, you know, my, my mom would say that if you look at the first part of my life, it's like, you know, one of the old school country songs where my, you know, where you, you, the dog died, you know, your house is burned down, you, you know, your hubby left you that whole thing, right? And, and I said, the second part of my life is like a contemporary country song and it's called, Jesus take the wheel. And so there are things that I think that are so important in what you have to say that will help bring us back to a sense of the, our true nature. And I wanted to ask you, how far off of the mark have we gotten, at least in this country right now? You know, you, you may disagree, uh, but I'm going to tell you that I don't think we are off the mark. In fact, mm-hmm. I really feel like that everything that's been happening is so beautiful. You know, we've been so protected. You know, we've been so much in our comfort zone, zone surrounding ourselves by nice stock portfolios and a nice asset base and nice homes and cars, and yet we've so disconnected from our communities. We've disconnected from what's most important. We've stayed in, in mediocre jobs because they paid the bills or they paid more than that, but many times we weren't truly happy. You know, we stayed in average relationships and we weren't willing to do the work. And I think now we've been more vulnerable. We're almost on display. We've exposed our weaknesses and our concerns and our pain. And so we're almost being forced to deal with the truth of why we're here and following our 
reason for being. And as we're, you know, laid off from jobs or we lose opportunities, we're able to see new opportunities as, as they present themselves in a way that's in greater alignment with our truth. So that's not to say that it's easy. It's much easier for me to say it. But I do believe that where we are as a society is a beautiful place. I think a lot more people are standing up for themselves. When you see what's happening with, you know, even the Wall Street, you know, movement, you can disagree with it. But it's beautiful when you see people who just are willing to stand up for something, anything. It doesn't even matter. The fact that they're willing to put themselves out there towards something they believe in, I think, is something that we've been missing for a long time. I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I completely agree with you um, about, you know, this journey and really where we are. You know, so much conversation has gone around 2012. But I want to get to, you know, the way that you begin the book and you talk about true connection. And I think this is a, a great place to, to, to really start. You know, this idea of true connection and, and, and what you talk about. You say connection is more than a conversation. And I'm not going to finish reading that because, you know, I want to talk about this idea of writing a book about connection and what it means to you. You, you do mention that it's about true engagement. Can you tell us a bit about that? I think that's what you were referring to with the Wall Street uh, business, right? Yeah, it's really about stepping outside of this inner world that we create for ourselves and even the comfort zones we create outside of ourselves with the people in our life, even the people closest to us. You know, we get stuck in these patterns where we relive the weather or how our day went and we don't go deep. We don't go down to our truth, down to our core. And oftentimes, again, if we just continue this theme of dealing with obstacles in life, it's during these situations that we feel all alone. We feel like there's nobody that understands what we're going through. And the truth is that nobody does understand because they haven't lived our experiences. They haven't been there. Yet it's our ability to realize that we each are going through different challenges at different times that allows us to connect and engage and to deepen those connections so we don't feel all alone in the midst of what are sometimes our greatest challenges. And you talk about that connection and, uh, you know, uh, that uh, it requires openness from within. And I wanted to talk with you about this because if it requires openness from within and yet at the same time, more and more we're hearing about people shutting down their emotions, being in places of fear and isolation, how do we move to that place where we can truly be open from within? Well, if you look back and probably your past and my past and all of your listeners' past, we've all been hurt, we've all been betrayed, we've all, we've all had our hearts broken probably more than once. And so it's hard to trust. You know, it's hard to have faith in the good nature of these people that we meet in our lives. And so we end up waiting and getting to know them for years and years before we feel like we can really be open and really be authentic. But the true opportunity to deepen those relationships is to be vulnerable. It's to be willing to take those risks and to have faith and trust that if we're not living our truth, nobody's going to live it for us. And sometimes that means that other people won't understand. They won't know how to react. And they may even do things that could be, you know, perceived as downright hurtful, but we can't control anybody else. All we can control is how we're showing up in our life. We've got to be consistent with our truth. We've got to be honest with ourselves in order that we can deepen those connections and feel more fulfilled in our lives and find a greater sense of happiness. But it all comes from how we're showing up and being willing to be on display, if you will, from a place of, of inner knowing, from a place of trust. You know, Seth, we are so fortunate to be speaking with you tonight. I mean, you know, every time we turn around, there is something in the headlines, something about, 
you know, learning from illness. I mean, I think the latest, you know, we're, we're talking about, of course, Steve Jobs from, from Apple, you know, now the headlines are reading, you know, what was this man spiritual? Um, and pointing to his journey and his illness. What, what do you, or what have you found for yourself and perhaps even some readers? What have you found, uh, people, uh, becoming awakened to from their illness? You know, it's funny, we didn't have the opportunity, you and I, to talk about my first book. And we're talking yep. about the second book, but I have an yep. entire section in the first book all about, it's called Learning from Illness. Because mm-hmm. illness is one of the greatest teachers. It really is, is a great teacher for us. And, you know, going through cancer twice, for me, it was an amazing blessing. Not everybody could say that about cancer, but for me, it was a gift. It was a new lease on life. It gave me an opportunity to go back in the world, but to do it in a way that was consistent with my truth. It just happened to take two times going through it before I was not stubborn enough to actually pay attention. But we learn from these experiences in our life, and they allow us to, again, re-engage, reconnect. You know, we're given many do-overs. You know, we oftentimes look at our life and we look back and we say, gosh, if I could just do it all over again. But we have so many opportunities to do it all over again in this moment from all this information that we're receiving, all this feedback we're getting about how we're living our life. And, you know, again, illness is just one of those things that when you're paying attention to it, it's either a reflection of how we're living our lives or it's just a guiding factor to keep us or move us in the direction of our desires. Why do we feel so alone, uh, Seth? And I and I, I bring that question up because um, some folks, at least I've interviewed many people, and myself included, that have gone through um, life-threatening illness um, several times over, like yourself, others, and there's such a sense of fulfillment. And yet, in contrast, um, you know, we hear people all the time that feels so isolated and alone. Where does that where does that sense of aloneness come from from your perspective? You know, from my point of view, I mean we are all alone. You know, we're born for all practical purposes alone. We spend most of our time inside of our own mentality. We die alone. Now I'm a I'm I've got a beautiful wife. I'm madly in love with her. I, I definitely consider her my best friend and we're as close as I think we could ever be. Yet it doesn't matter. We're still on our journey on our own. We're still fulfilling our own life path and life purpose. We still have to control our actions and who we're choosing to be in life. So it is our own inner journey. So I think naturally we will feel all alone. Yet it is how we take who we're choosing to be from inside of ourselves and bring the best part of ourselves out into the world in order to deepen those connections and to be of service that allows us to tap into happiness and fulfillment. If we do it from the outside in, if we do it because we're desiring something, we're desiring to obtain money or a certain type of status, then we'll never be fulfilled. But I just think we're naturally alone, but we can accept that aloneness and yet still choose to bring the best of ourselves into our relationships in order to feel more connected with each other. And, and, you know, the book, um, and Manual for Living and Connection, of course, uh, is book two. Let's drop back for a minute and, and touch upon the first book you, you wrote about reality. I mean, for the, for listeners that have, that have read, bo- you know, both books or are familiar with your work, um, there's so much today in our society that seems to point to things that are real. And yet, I, I know some folks believe that our pop culture sense of reality is an illusion. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that first book. Well, you know, kind of in reverse order of the 
great comments you made. I mean, our entire world is an illusion only from the standpoint that our perceptions do create our reality. Whatever we give meaning to is how we value our life. If we have something sitting on our desk that, for all practical purposes, has no intrinsic financial value, but it has meaning for us, then all of a sudden has a connection to our emotions, to our own inner well-being. And so as we look around our own world, we have meaning. We have placed meaning on things in our life, and that is how we create our reality around the things that are important to us. So, you know, when I published the first book, or finished the first book, it was all about how just to be human. You know, how do we exist as a successful human being and not using success that most people use, like, you know, how how good of a job do we have, what's the title we have at the, our corporate employment. It was really how do, we, how do we relate to time? How do we relate to money? How do we deal with illness? How do we make peace with death without having to do, go through the trauma that you or I went through? And so it's really the, the, the value of taking steps to find our happiness and fulfillment while embracing this human experience. And so I just felt like that was the perfect place to start, is that we just have to make peace with being human. And all that is entailed in there, which, again, is dealing with death and dealing with illness and dealing with pain and also dealing with love and dealing with happiness and dealing with joy. And so it's really embracing the full gamut while also trying to find balance and harmony, you know, all the little things that stand between where we are and where we want to be. You know, in the book, you also talk about recurring soul connections. Let's take let's take a journey uh, down down the path here about that because I found I found this part of the book really fascinating. Um, at the same time, we have these recurring uh, recurring soul connections, and and yet most of the time we don't really see or accept or appreciate what they what they are. You know, what have you found in your own personal journey about these kinds of soul connections? Well, you know, I've gone through my life and there have been people that have shown up at certain times for certain reasons. And in hindsight, you can look back and you can say, gosh, that was a very fascinating experience. And although part of us wants to hold on to relationship experiences or people, we can look back and see how we've grown, see how we've learned. You know, like many people I dated, uh, different women before I got married, and I, I realized that each one of the women in my life was there to teach me something amazing. Now, it wasn't always something very conscious. It was something that as you were moving through it, you started to see a pattern, and you said, gosh, this is an amazing experience for me, and this is just what I went through. And I went through it, and at the end of it, I thought, gosh, what an amazing gift this person gave me. We could go through this experience. We could have some amazing times together, and yet at the end of it all, we could both step out of it as better people. As, as, as we've moved forward in life, we've evolved together. We've supported each other. And then at some point, you realize that for me, all of a sudden, I'd gone through these relationships, and I felt like I was, I was ready. Like, I felt like I was complete. And then at that point, I had I met my wife, my current wife. And so, but it almost required that I went through those relationships in order to grow and evolve. And I do believe that those relationships, whether you believe that it was karmic or you believe that I manifested it or I just created opportunities to grow, doesn't matter. Regardless, I had gone through experiences that in my own mind allowed me to be a better man and a better human being. You know, I knew you were going to say that because I was just talking to somebody about this. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. You know, we were talking about our previous relationships and, and you know, myself, three years off of a 14-year relationship, I have such appreciation for that journey. And I love the way you talked about it just now and also the way you talk about it in the book. Because I, I, I guess I don't think that these connections are random. And I used to think they were. 
And at some level, I don't think there's a divine plan either. So I'm kind of caught in this gray area, you see. But without overthinking them, I think it is so kind of cool to be able to look back and say, aha, I would have never learned this without that person. Even some of the worst people I've ever worked for, Seth, you know what I mean? You know, I do. And a lot of people don't get that when I talk about it. In the very beginning, you know, I always say, you know, give gratitude for the people who've loved you and the people who've hurt you because they've all given you an amazing gift. And again, for some experiences, there couldn't be something further from where their truth is or where they feel like they are in that current moment. But the reality is that everybody that we've connected with has has impacted us in some amazing way. And we don't always know how those relationships, how those connections have contributed to where our truth is in this moment. So you're absolutely right. If you were able to maintain your awareness and in some sense stay rational in your truth, then you can actually see your experiences as true opportunities to support you in your path. You know, it was interesting. I was talking to my former partner the other day, and we were talking about, I mean, we could talk about it and laugh a little bit about it now, about something that you refer to in the book. I mean, we were saying, you know what? If we'd have just said this to each other, if we'd have, if we'd have, if we'd have just had that conversation right there at that moment, and we were laughing about it, and in the book, uh, you know, you talk about communication is everything, and you actually uh, have a quote from Peter Drucker, who I actually had the fortune of, of, of being in class with, and you say the most important thing. This is his quote: "The most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said." It almost makes you think. What did she say? And boy, it is such a powerful message, isn't it? I do think, you know, communication is funny, and there's no better place to understand communication than an intimate physical relationship because that's the place where you're on display. That's the place where you say one thing and the other person hears something entirely different. And so you have to stop yourself sometimes and say, how did, how did we get to this place? I really thought I was saying X, and you heard Y, and now we're just totally on a different tangent in life and so it is interesting how there's so much more meaning to what isn't being said in life and so as we go through in our relationships with our coworkers and our boss and our customers and our neighbors there's so much for us to learn about communication that i think is missing when we actually get to the place where we're trying to enhance our lives that's one place that's very easy to enhance our overall well-being is just focusing and learning on how to be a better communicator how to be you know a better friend even well, you know, it's so interesting we're talking about communication. Um, I don't necessarily uh, watch the uh, uh, 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock news or CNN or, you, you know. I mean, I grew up doing that because, you know, my corporate job required me to do that, to pay attention to the stock market, to pay attention to current events. But somebody sent me a YouTube um, video today. Apparently, it was a YouTube video of one of the candidates running in the primary for, uh, I believe, the Republican Party. And he was asked a question. And I believe it was a question about his policy around Libya. And so I don't even remember the question. I mean, somebody had to tell it to me. But if you were to just watch what wasn't being said, it was so telling. And I guess that was that that particular capture of communication certainly didn't benefit him. But in a lot of people's minds... It was very telling, you see. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it is funny that we we can often change our words, but we can't hide the emotions or the feelings behind them. And I think 
sometimes we underestimate our ability as humans to actually read through what's being said. We're, we're very amazing individually how we can see through things. And somebody will say one thing and we'll say, gosh, that just didn't feel right. And so I think inherently or intuitively we know what's, what, what people are saying or presenting to us, just like we know what our truth is. It doesn't mean that we live it in every moment, but somewhere inside of us we know what our true destiny is, what our path is, what our purpose is, what makes us happy. And the same goes, I think, as we perceive relationships if people are being genuine or, or authentic, if we're willing to trust our own you know, inner senses, so to speak. Well, and this really kind of leads to one of the chapters in the book that I've now read. Um, <clears throat> I love this chapter, by the way, in your book, Seth. And for those just tuning in, my very special guest, guest joining me here today, Seth Chernoff, of course, is the author of Manual for Living Connection. This is his book, too. And uh, we're talking about many, many things. I, I will tell everybody we're going to give out his website and let you know how you get a copy of the book as well because there's so much. This this book is just so right on for so many reasons. Um, okay, here it is. You ready? Ignorant beings. I love this chapter. And I so relate to my own ignorance as I read it. Uh, I, I can't believe you actually got this chapter through a publisher. No, you know what I'm talking about, Seth? Nobody wants to talk about ignorance and and who we are everybody wants to talk about you know ignorance is something bad or ignorance is we're all supposed to be new age self-help law of attraction and some days i feel like i don't have a clue (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about why yeah why did you write this chapter seth you know, I, I just look around and I I just pay a lot of attention. And I'm fascinated by people. I just am. I think people are just fascinating. You know, the fact that people will stay in a job where they're miserable because they're either unwilling or unable to change, yet they're okay about sacrificing their happiness as long as they have something in the future to look forward to. You know, so many things about the way we live our life, you know, a whole part of that ignorant chapter has to do with people. You know, we've all had that friend of ours who is in a bad relationship for way too long, and they always ask for our, our advice, and we always said, you know what, your relationship doesn't sound like it's going that well for you. And they finally get out of the relationship after complaining about it for years, and all of a sudden, a few months later, you run into them or they call you up, and they're in another relationship with the exact same problems. We all know these people. We do it in our own life. Heck, I went through cancer twice. I do think that if I would have figured it out the first time, I may not have had to go through it the second time, but there was a lot there for me to go through. So I think that in life, if we pay attention, you know, oftentimes we see recurring themes about where we're given the opportunity to grow and to evolve. And I think if we allow ourselves to pay attention and to be willing to do some of the work, then we actually move through those things without suffering nearly as much as we allow ourselves to. You know, I mean, this is such a great, great chapter. I mean, in so many ways. I mean, uh, for for a lot of people, being able to say, you know, we really are ignorant to so many things. We lack, we lack our, uh, let's just say, we lack some sort of ability to take responsibility for everything going on in our lives. You know, our thoughts, our actions, whatever they are, and and yet at the same time, we're being asked especially at an economic level, to become more empowered and take more responsibility. Do you see this is kind of paradoxical sort of here? <laughs> you know, I just think responsibility is everything. It is like the buzzword that I've been talking about for a couple of years now because 
it's like we're so quick to blame everybody for everything, yet the word responsibility has such a negative connotation, probably from when we were kids, and we had all these responsibilities to keep track of, and it left us in a state of disempowerment. And yet in life, we do need to take responsibility, but not so much for the things that you think. My big push and the push for the Manual for Living series is all about just taking responsibility for the things that you can control, which really is just who you choose to be and the actions that you take. There's nothing else that we control in life. And so if you look at your current life that we all do, and if we're not happy for any particular reason, we only can look in the mirror for the choices we made that have gotten us here. And that's the only way to be empowered to move forward, not to berate ourselves for making bad choices, but to be empowered to understand that if we actually created our life as it stands now, that means we can create it however we want into the future. But responsibility is the first place that you have to start. Now let's talk about responsibility and its relationship to drama. Uh, and, and, and the reason I want to talk about that is because, you know, there is an acute, sharp, attentive um, consciousness about um, accountability and responsibility. And, and at the same time, we can get caught in sort of this cycle of drama. Uh, of overthinking what we did, what we didn't do, and what we should do. Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of the world of regret gone wild. Yeah, we do have a tendency to be too much in our head. And even if it relates <laughs> to connection, we're in our head. And I'm an Aquarius. I'm a pretty, I'm a thinker. You know, I mm-hmm. think through a lot of stuff. But it requires, in order to deepen my connection, I have to go to my heart. If in order to follow my truth, I have to go to my heart. I think if you look at, and I know you touched on this earlier, a lot of the economic problems we have, all those things were decisions made in the head, in the mind, in our ego. They weren't decisions made in our heart. But the greatest relationships we have are based in our heart, our connection to our parents, our our siblings, our children, our spouses. That's all based on our connection from our heart. And so we realize that the greatest things in our lives come from that place. And so if we are able to bring that connection to other areas of our life, then not only will we feel more fulfilled, but we'll be able to be of greater service. And I know that's not exactly what you asked, but I just feel like that's the place where we have such a greater opportunity is to get to our heart. But I do think that in our mind, we do tie ourselves in knots sometimes. And there's got to be a place where we just allow ourselves to let go, to let go of what happened. You know, I think everybody will get in a, a situation, will say something, and it just didn't come out right, and you just go, gosh, why did I just say that? Yet we just have another opportunity in the next moment to do something different, to change who we're choosing to be and to change our actions, and that is the amazing part of life is we get to recreate it constantly. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because um, I, I love what you, you said. Yeah, as, as an Aquarian, you certainly, you know, uh, probably spend a lot of time thinking about a lot of things. I'm a Sagittarian. I'm the one that will say something, hopefully not during this hour we're spending together, will say something and then have to yank my foot out of my mouth uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think along the way, what you're talking about is so important. It, I There's a saying that I have, and I wanted to get you to weigh in on it, is this latter part of my life, Seth, and maybe it's because of the illness. I've learned to lead with my heart. You know what I mean? And I love how you're talking about connecting with your heart. So it seems like I still have a little bit more to do here. But I used to make decisions from my head. Now I lead with my heart. And I, I'm in a place of knowing that the details will follow. 
Is that too far on the edge? No, not at all. I mean, that's very, very similar to my life. The craziest things that I did that I've done in my life, the craziest decisions, were the ones that were based on my heart, and they were also the most meaningful and the most rewarding and the most impactful. And, yes, we can do great decisions with our mind. I mean, I've started a bunch of companies. I've sold some. I've, I've been in the business world, and I love that world. Yet too many of the decisions, decisions come from our head. You know, we make bad decisions. We make bad decisions about employees, about customers, about our profit margins, because they're all made in our mind. But if we're able to somehow merge our heart with our mind, then we can make better decisions and feel better about them. You know, and I just think that there's a, a shift that we're given the opportunity to have as we apply better systems to every part of our life, not just our home life, but to every part of our life. The connections that we're able to enhance aren't just at home. They're everywhere. They're with every person that we touch. I love this. I want to just tell everybody, we're going to take a short break. Before we do, Seth, well, please give out the website. Tell people how they can get a copy of, of your book, and we'll take a short break and be right back. Tell folks how they can find out more about you. Okay, love to. Uh, the uh, website is SethChernoff.com, S-E-T-H-C-H-E-R-N-O-F-F, and the Manual for a Living is available where all good books are sold and on Amazon and everywhere else. All right, and you know, when we come back, we're going to take a, take a chapter right out of this book. Here is something for all of you to think about while we're gone for a few minutes. And think about this. Nobody is ever right. I'll say it again. Nobody is ever right. What does Seth mean about that? And how does that get us to just remove the crusty layer around our hearts, lead with our hearts, open our hearts, and connect heart to heart? We'll take a short break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Talk Radio to Thrive by. We'll be right back. your best friend could take a peek into the future psychic author and cosmic coach Dougal Fraser is that friend he's the queer guy with a third eye from gossip to gurus meditation to martinis the Dougal Fraser show is a call-in advice show that provides insights and information on creating your best life every Tuesday at 10 he'll take calls and talk about love money sex pop culture and give free advice no topic is off limits it's the Dougal Fraser show Ladies, are you living an inspired life? Do you yearn for a more passionate, dream-filled life? Here's Linda Joy, founder of Aspire Magazine, and she has a gift for you. Aspire has launched its Mission to Inspire initiative with a commitment to give away 100,000 one-year digital subscriptions to women around the globe. Every subscription comes with a multitude of free gifts from our team inspiration partners. To claim it all, go to AspireMag.net today. No purchase necessary and live an inspired life. Are you feeling stuck? Do you want to be free from fears and doubts and finally feel good about yourself, but you just don't know how to get there? Dr. Schaub's Accelerated Breakthrough Program provides you with the tools and solutions to go beyond your limitations and achieve self-empowered confidence. Call for your free phone consultation at 866-903-MIND. Visit CellularWisdom.com. That's CellularWisdom.com. TransformationTalkRadio.com. 
transforming the world one listener at a time. Imagine you had a way to protect yourself from cancer, depression, disease, and dispel the nastiest bugs that attempt to hide undetected. Take a moment to wonder, how does that feel? How powerful? Did you know that enough golden sunlight produces vitamin D in your body to protect itself against disease? Producing enough vitamin D can kill cancer, even help with weight loss. This amazing little vitamin is actually not a vitamin at all but a powerhouse of protection that can activate your body's innate healing ability, but only if you have enough in your blood to shine the light. Tune in to award-winning author Dr. Lucinda Messer as she shares how you can harness the power of sunlight to create a healthy body and mind. Her book, Powerful Medicine, Vitamin D, Shedding Light on a Worldwide Health Crisis, is like having a vitamin D expert on hand to answer all your health questions. For more information, visit PowerfulD.com. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I am so, so thrilled to be finally speaking with Seth Chernoff, who's joining me here today. He's the author of the Manual for Living series. It is a series. Um, his latest book is Connection. Uh, you, you know, I wanted to say, everybody, you're going to want to get all his books. You want to get the book he wrote, his first book. You want to get the second book. And if he's going to write a third or fourth or fifth, you want to get all of those. Because he has such an incredible knack for saying things that somewhere along the line, you know, you know there's a truth to it. You know you've heard it. Seth, before the break, I pulled, pulled, it, pulled a chapter right out from your book. Nobody is ever right. Wow. You know, I, I think we should say that and then have bells and whistles and gongs go off and and everybody start to hold on to their respirators. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I love that chapter. I really do. Because mm. our whole society is built around right and wrong, right? It's right and wrong or right and left. You know, it's always you're either in the right place or the wrong place. And that's just not how life works. It just doesn't work that way. And, you know, in the context of relationship, which is what the chapter is all about, it's that in every argument, we're either trying to make the other person wrong or trying to show them how we're right. And what we end up doing is just wrong. We distance ourselves from the people we care about. And that's the only thing that matters is our connection. So if we are choosing to be right over being connected, then we're just wrong. It's just not possible to be any other way. And, you know, isn't it so interesting because uh, right and wrong, it, for me, has always seemed very situational. Let, let me give you an example if I can, all right? When I was growing up, um, and you were watching television, right? You had certain ratings. You know, when television first came out, you didn't even need to have ratings. It, nobody had ratings. There was an X rating, PG, right? All of a sudden, now we have television, television, movies, we have ratings, right? So 20 years ago, what was okay for somebody 13 to watch right, or not okay for somebody 13 to watch, is okay for somebody 13 to watch now. You know, I grew up as Catholic. One day I was not allowed to eat fish on Friday, and the next day I was. 
so it gets a little bit confusing. <laughs> and I just wanted to get all that penance back I did from eating meat on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we end up having these belief systems, I think, and sometimes they're handed down. Sometimes we learn about them. Sometimes we just pick up. These these are the ways that we live our life based on these belief systems, and they're not always conscious. We just get into a pattern of doing something a certain way, and it's not always supportive, not even always meaningful for our life, but we just get in the pattern, and we can't break that pattern. But it is always interesting how we take things from our childhood that we didn't like then, and sometimes we carry them all the way through our life and teach our children the same thing just so that they can experience the same misery that we went through as kids. But we have to, at some point, stop and just evaluate our belief system and make sure that we're living according to our own current truth, not what we think other people think we should be living or according to something that we just happen to live you know, throughout our lifetime. Well, you know, I, I mean, it's really, a, 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 for, for you and I having this chat today, um, there are so many things you cover in this book. I mean, it is, and the way that you do it, you get right to the point. One of the things I talked about today, and I told you there was a show that I did earlier today. This is my third hour today. And the show that we did was uh, um, Have Americans Have Americans Lost Compassion. And part of what I presented to my guest, sort of, you know, to get a little conversation going was, um, well, okay, have we lost compassion or are we at a place where we don't trust anymore or we don't know what to trust? And I went through and I talked about the fact that, you know, my own downsizing experience, you, you know, as a human resource executive that couldn't implement the downsizing policy, I then went on to study what it meant to break promises. In the book, you talk about deception and betrayal. And, uh, you know, I found this a very, very powerful and and meaningful message for us right now and i wanted you to talk a little bit about deception and betrayal from of course what you wrote in the book but from what you've experienced yourself your own life you know with things around your illness and so forth and so on wow yeah i i sure have my share of stories of being betrayed and deceived i do think it was funny you know during the break we briefly were talking about our conversations that we have with God or whatever higher power mm-hmm. that we put out in the world. And when yeah. I got sick the first time, I had that conversation. And I and I think we all do. When you face, you know, traumatic or catastrophic illness and you're given your prognosis and it doesn't look good, you have that conversation because that's the person that you feel like you should have that conversation with. And, you know, my conversation wasn't very positive. I was pretty angry. I was upset. And it actually moved through pretty quickly. I had, when I was diagnosed with cancer the first time, I had literally about three hours before I was in surgery. So I didn't have a lot of time to process all the information. So I kind of had to very quickly go through all my emotions, and then I was in surgery. And then when I woke up, I was at peace, and I was really okay with it all. So it was kind of an interesting experience for me, but we do have those conversations with the universe or our higher power, and oftentimes we can be very blunt and very direct. But as we go through life and we feel betrayed, sometimes we, again, we look to other people, and we have a tendency to continue blaming them for our own misery. And whether that's God or whether that's people in our life, it's one thing to be hurt in our life, but it's another thing to carry that hurt through your life every single day so that you sacrifice your happiness in every moment just because of something that happened to you in the past, no matter how horrific it was. If we allow somebody in this world to take away our greatness for the future, to take away our ability to access our sense of well-being and happiness, 
then we lose. Then we lose the opportunity to be a life of service, to be a life of the purpose and fulfillment. And so I think you can't talk about betrayal without talking about forgiveness, without talking about letting go, without talking about our ability to move on and to persevere. Well, and you can't talk about it without talking about gratitude. Because mm. gratitude and betrayal cannot coexist in one's mind. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, you know, uh, why, why have, why did my boss betray me? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? But you're right. I mean, this place uh, of really looking at moving on, moving forward, letting go. Um, and some people say they're so sick and tired of hearing about letting go. So somebody said to me, I really wish we would let go of letting go. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I mean, can you imagine that? I didn't know what to say to that, Seth. You gotta help me out here. They said to me, you know what? Why don't we just let go of letting go? And I couldn't even figure out what that meant. You know, I'm not sure what I would have said to that either. Except that, you know, again, I just look at my own life and I say, gosh, if there's something that's in my life that's standing between where I am and where I want to be, I've got to let go of it. It doesn't matter what it is or who it is. The truth is that we're, I believe, we're each here for a very unique purpose. And we just can't let anybody stand in the way of that purpose, whether it's something that happened in the past or somebody that did something to us in the past or even in the present moment. We have to find some way to move beyond our past experiences to move forward. So maybe she just needs a different terminology, like release or expungement. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> well, you know, this is really kind of, you know, beautiful in the context of freedom. You know, freedom. Um, you also talk about uh, hatred and anger. And I want to just take sort of a snapshot out of some of the headlines. Um, I think that hatred and anger went global, certainly around 9-11 and conversations around terrorists and attack and so forth. Um, I also think that there is behavior that we see every day on television that's about anger and hatred. How do we defend or how does one defend when there is a vibration out there, whether it is in the media or pop culture or otherwise? Someone asked me the question, how do you defend? And what is it we're defending against? Well, you know, the first thing that I just want to clarify, and I, I know we talk, we're talking about some things that aren't that positive, and there's a lot of people who talk about just got to stay in a positive space all the time. And I'm a pretty positive guy. I mean, for everybody who knows me, I'm about as positive as you get. But I still believe that there is a place for the full gamut of human emotion. There is a place to feel frustration. There's a place to feel anger. But as we move through those emotions, there's also places to feel a greater amount of joy and a greater amount of love. And so we can't berate ourselves if we're not staying in the perfect place all the time. We can get into a different place, and then we can release that place. So I just think it's okay when emotions come up to just accept those emotions, acknowledge them, and then we're able to release them. So that's just the first distinction I would make. But I think, you know, anger, frustration, hatred, I just think these are natural aspects of, of being human. And our ability to feel anger and hatred is often a reflection of our ability to feel love. It's kind of like in divorce, you know, when you go through that, the, the biggest divorces you often have are often a reflection of the amount of love that was shared at one point in time between two people. And it, although it's hard to, to see that in the moment of the divorce, it, there's a lot of emotion there that came from a place of love at the very beginning or even over the course of time. And so I just think that we have to acknowledge that a lot of these emotions are so interrelated that you can't just cut off your arm 
You know, that, that's just part of who you are. But you can acknowledge it and you can realize, you know what, holding on to this is not beneficial to me. And if I want to be free and I want to be empowered and I want to create my life from a conscious, purpose-driven place, I have to be willing to let go of that at some point. Yeah, you know, this is really, um, and boy, this hour is going really, really quickly. Before we continue, I would love for you to, again, one more time, let's give out your website and let's just let folks know um, how they can find out more about you. Okay, love to. Yeah, it's uh, Manual for Living Reality, Manual for Living Connection. My website is SethChernoff.com. That's S-E-T-H-C-H-E-R-N-O-F-F.com. And if for some reason your circumstances don't allow you to afford to buy a book, there is so much free stuff on the website. You can just go there. You can get free chapters. You can get tons of free content. And if you do want to buy the book, there's links to where you can buy it and all that good stuff. Let's talk about what, you know, um, and I'm probably jumping ahead, but I, I really loved the conversation in the book about committing to greatness. And um, I, I, love, I love the way that reads. I love the way it sounds. And, and, I, and I love the idea. I, I imagine what, what this world would be like if every individual could commit to greatness. And I wanted to ask you about this chapter and what the message is uh, for people. Because most of the time, people people don't realize that they're even capable of greatness. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And we also have to accept that it's going to be different for each and every one of us. It doesn't mean that you're going to become a doctor or a president or anything else. It's not defined by the titles that are given outside of ourselves. It's defined by how we're living our life and how we're following our truth. And greatness, I think, is the holy grail in many respects. It's how we actually go into the world and seek for the greater good of ourselves and of each other. It's what allows us to face our fears and be courageous and to be strong, even when every part of ourselves doesn't want to. It's the part of ourselves that comes from the deepest part of our being that we often have to tap into when we're going through hard times. But once you go through a hard time and you realize that you, you find the strength during some of your darkest hours to get through those difficult moments, when you take that strength to your best moments, then all of a sudden you can tap into a, a part of yourself that many people only dream of. It gives you the strength to actually dream for something so much greater than what you have. And again, you know, we talked about in the very beginning, we're very complacent as a species. We just get stuck in these patterns, and our jobs aren't always the best ones, and our relationships aren't always what we want them to be. And greatness applies to everything. It's about every relationship. It's about how we show up in every moment. And it's not going to be perfect all the time. But by consciously choosing greatness, there's a reflective impact that happens in every part of our life. When we take a look at, um, when we take a look at, you know, what we want our epitaph to say, you know, what do we want our lives to be about? I'm sure, you, as I have, you have thought about this, you know, facing death, of course, several times. You know, what do you want to be remembered by? What do you want people to say about your character? Because you talk about character in the book as well. You know, what do you want folks to remember you as, Seth? Boy, that's a big question, isn't it? You know, it's funny because, you know, when you go through life, there's, you know, and especially recovering from illness, you have good days and you have days that you work really hard to be good days. And so you have to, you know, stay focused on what the goal is. And I think, you know, for me, I would wanted to say that I gave it all for my dream and for what I felt like was my purpose and truth in life. 
that's it. And because mm-hmm. that applies to everything. It's, a, it's just how we relate to every part of our life. If we are living our truth and we give it everything that we've got, it doesn't matter how it's evaluated outside of ourselves. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It just matters that we know inside of ourselves that we did everything possible to contribute, to be of service, and to find our greatness. Wow. You know, one of the things that um, really struck me by reading your book is, you know, how you you really go through the full gamut. Not only do you you invite us to take a look about connecting with ourselves, but you talk about family and you talk about children uh, and you talk about friendships, good friendships. Um, right now, there is so much, and, and I'll say this, conflict, we're, we're maintaining, controlling, trying not to show our emotions, and yet, the clear path based on what you've written in the book, the clear path to to all of this has to do with what you talk about and refer to as intuition and true love. Can you talk a little bit of that? I was really struck by the fact that you put intuition and true love in the same part of the book. <laughs> I know. Do you, do you, does anybody ever ask you about that? No, never. You're the first one. I, I want to hear about this because I, I love that you put them together. But I, but I don't think our listeners have heard about this thing that we call intuition and true love together. Well, if you look at the course of our life, and again, we, we touched on this at the beginning, the most valuable relationships are the ones that come from our heart. The most valuable contributions we make in our life are the ones that come from our heart. And so if we are able to see true love, not always and not only from the standpoint of our most important intimate relationships, but even everywhere in our life, our, abil- our ability to fully open up our heart and connect and engage with everyone that we relate to, understanding and knowing that they are also going through their own challenges in life. They are also trying to find their own path and their own truth in life. So having some empathy and compassion and realizing that, you know, we all do inherently desire to be loved, to be cared for, to be supported. And yet I also believe that we all desire to find fulfillment and to express the truth of ourselves in the world. And so if you can relate to that, then there's a natural love that's related. There's a natural part of ourselves that connects to each other. But, I mean, I I don't have enough time to go into the depth of why I put intuition and true love together, but the intuitive part of how we live our life and how we find love and connect to love, whether it's in our most important relationships and even in our business and even in our church and wherever we worship and whatever we do in our life, it's how we actually can listen to our truth as it's being spoken to us and as we relate it outside of ourselves that allows us to move forward. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges that we have is being able and willing to listen to that inner voice and the truth of it, not just the part that comes from our mind. Well, that kind of takes us back to this idea of open heart or leading with the heart. Because I think when you and I are referring to the heart, we're not necessarily talking about that thing that's pounding in our chest, so to speak. Um, we're talking about heart with a capital H. Yeah, I think that there's a depth, that there's a depth that re- that's required in order for us to enhance every part of our life. It, it's, it's what's required to actually get to know ourselves. And, you know, in connection, it's not just about a relationship to each other. It's about the most important relationship in our life, which is the relationship to ourselves, to our own truth, to our own inner wisdom, and to our own kind of guiding light that, that we feel inside of ourselves. Well, I save sort of one of my favorite questions right to the end of the show, and it does, and you do talk about it in the book, but, um, you actually have dedicated a section of the book, um, about it, and it's called unbending faith. I love that term, unbending. I've heard a lot of terms in reference to faith, but unbending faith, it's the first time I've heard it. 
Um, I would love for you, uh, first of all, let me thank you for joining me here today. And, and, you know, and as we wrap this show up, I would love for you to share the message around Unbending Faith and an invitation to our listeners. Hmm. You know, faith is a charged subject, right? Because we have so many belief systems in our society. And I'll be the first to tell you that I'm okay with all of them. My book doesn't discredit any of them. But what I do believe is that we have to have faith in something. We have to have some faith. And it doesn't matter who you believe your God is or where you worship or what you do. You have to have faith. You have to have faith in the goodwill of humankind. You have to have faith that things are going to work out for you in your life. You have to have faith that as you move through challenging times, that you're going to emerge in a better place. As you move through something challenging, whether you're being laid off or losing your house or losing somebody you care about, you're going to get to a better place. And you're going to find the joy and fulfillment and happiness in moving through these things and allowing yourself to grow. But you have to believe. You have to believe. The second you let go of your faith in whatever it is that you believe in is the second that you allow your life in some ways to deteriorate because you're only allowing yourself to see some part of life. It's like seeing life in 2D instead of 3D. You're letting go of some of the greatest aspects of this world. So I just think faith is something that it doesn't matter what it is for you, but just have faith and never stop believing. Well, I I have to thank you so much, Seth, for joining me here today. I, I absolutely love the book. It's a very, very powerful book. Um, the way that you've decided to read it clearly demonstrates that not only do you live your life from, you know, a place of heart connectedness, but your message to people out in the world is the same. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I hope you will come and join me on the show again, and and I so look forward to continuing this conversation. No, I look forward to it as well. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. I want to make sure that you know what this book is. I'll tell you, this is the kind of book that, for me, you keep it by your bed or you keep it close by where you can pick it up, and it doesn't matter what page you go to, there is a message in it. And if there's not a message, there's going to be a question that you're going to contemplate, which is going to open a door that opens your heart to the best and the greatest life you can imagine. Thank you for joining us here on the Dr. Pat Show. My very special guest, Seth Chernoff, the book is Manual for Living. Uh, this is book two called Connection. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show, everybody. Have a great one.